Well, not too long ago, I think it was a few, a few weeks ago, I was mowing my lawn, and I've got a push mower, and it, it can take uh, a few hours, a couple hours to mow my lawn with that push mower. And as, as I was going along, my back just started really aching. And it was kind of like these lower back aches. And I started to actually get a little nervous. I, I thought, man, it almost feels like those lower back aches you get when you get the flu. And I, I, I kept stopping. I'd stand up. I'd kind of stretch. And um, at, at one of these points where I paused and where I, I stretched, I happened to look down at the, uh, the handle of the push mower. And I, I saw, oh, look at that little adjustable thing there. I, I can actually raise this up a little bit. See, I, I'd been mowing in kind of this hunched over position because I guess Jessa had mowed the lawn previous to me and, and you know, she's a little shorter than me. And that had really put a, a lot of extra strain on my back. I could have really saved myself a lot of pain if I'd have just looked at that from the start and adjusted it to a good height and mowed from a more natural position. Well, we can often uh, save ourselves a lot of pain, and that, that's what I'm hoping to do in this message this morning, is, is save us a lot of pain. This morning, we'll be looking at a, a case study of Jesus' disciples where they were needlessly distressed. They were, they were going through a, a level of emotional pain and sorrow and grief that they really didn't need to, to go through. If only they'd kept the truth of what Jesus had been telling them. If only they'd kept that before them. They wouldn't have sunk to such, to such deep levels of, of grief and sorrow and distress. And so let's, let's look at why why they could have saved themselves some pain and how, and, and how we often do the same thing as, as the disciples did in these verses this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 17. You can find this on page 772 in the Pew Bible this morning. Matthew chapter 17. And we'll be looking at just two verses from Matthew 17 this morning. Verses 22 and 23. Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. All right, if you found this text, I'm going to ask, if you're able this morning, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 17, starting in verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. You may be seated. Well, our two points this morning are going to be pretty straightforward. First of all, the disciples could have saved themselves some pain. And then point number two will be, we can save ourselves some pain. 
We're going to be focusing on Jesus' prediction and, and especially how the disciples took that, how they were, as verse 23 says, greatly distressed. We're going to think about why that was. Now, these, these verses uh, come in a section of, of Scripture where Jesus uh, has kind of turned his attention from, from teaching about who he is, his identity as the Messiah, as the God-man, and now he's focusing on explaining to his disciples his mission, what he has come to do. And over and over again, in just a, a short little section of Matthew, he keeps repeating, he keeps beating the same drum, the fact that he is going to suffer and die. He keeps telling them, he keeps reminding them of this truth. And they are having a hard time with it. Well, here in, in verses 22 and 23, this is, this is now really the third time where Jesus brings this up. And in this third prediction by Jesus of his death and resurrection, there are some important lessons for us to learn. We need to think about how does this prediction differ from the other ones? How does it differ from the other ones? Is there, is there anything different about this, any, any other angle about Jesus' death and resurrection that he's seeking to emphasize to his disciples, and, and why Matthew includes the disciples' response here. Well, one thing that, as we, as we look at this prediction of Jesus, notice the wording, notice how he words this. If we just read over it really fast, we might miss this, but Jesus actually uh, is using a, a word play here. And Jesus, when he says in verse 22, he says, the son of man is about to be delivered or betrayed into the hands of men. The son of man into the hands of men. And this, this wordplay is, is the same in the Greek. You know, there, there's still the, those, those words, even in the original language, would have kind of echoed one another. So Jesus is drawing emphasis to this fact He's going to be delivered into the hands of men. And what we need to notice about this is the title that Jesus uses as well. He uses his title as Son of Man. Now, we hear that, and, and oftentimes we, we might think, okay, Jesus is emphasizing his humanity. But actually, when we hear Son of Man as a title for Jesus, how the original audience would have heard that it's an echo from the Old Testament prophecy, especially a prophecy like Daniel. Listen to what Daniel chapter 7 says about the, the one like a son of man. It's prophesied that this son of man would be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, okay, so, so bear that in mind. Jesus says, son of man. They're thinking, all right, this almighty king with, a, with an everlasting kingdom, you know, the, the greatest ruler the earth has ever seen and will ever see. And he's going to be betrayed, delivered over into the hands of men. And they're going to kill him. No, so, so, so feel the, the shock 
that those two things side by side, how that would have, how that would have felt like ice water to the disciples just poured over their heads. Like, what? But, but Jesus, the son of man, you're going to be subjected to the, the will of mere men, mere mortals? You're going to be subjected to their will? And, and as Jesus says, they will kill him. They're going to, they're going to kill me, guys. They're going to kill me. It's going to appear, Jesus is, is trying to be very clear with them, it's going to appear that the great king has been tyrannized and victimized by mortal, malicious tyrants. Like a, a lamb led to the slaughter, opening not his mouth. It's, it's going to appear that, that evil has the upper hand to the point that they will do with me all that they please, to the point that they'll kill me. Jesus essentially saying, get ready, guys. Your faith is about to be shaken like it's never been shaken before. It will look like all is lost, like evil has won, like the Messiah and his kingdom has been overcome by the kingdom of darkness. Matthew Henry points out that, that Jesus, he knew perfectly before all things, he knew perfectly before all the things that should come to him. So he knew what was coming. And yet, he undertook the work of our redemption. So that, listen, Jesus, Jesus didn't go through his ministry with kind of just this vague feeling that something might go wrong at some point. No, he's, he's prophesying. He will be delivered, um, better translated, betrayed. As, as the time gets closer, he's, gonna, he's going to give even more specifics of how he will be handed over to death. Jesus knew what was coming. This was no accident. He intended to go through it. Even as he would say uh, elsewhere, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Jesus knew what he was going to. He knew and, and he meant to be handed over in this way. But to the disciples, it would look like evil had the upper hand. But before we, before we move on to, to why they're distressed and explore that a little deeper, I just, I just want to dwell for a moment on the love of Christ Think about this, knowing what he would endure, knowing where he was going, where he was headed, knowing that as he step by step walked that dusty road towards Jerusalem, that each step was bringing him to hell on earth. Closer, he was, he was walking to his own execution. He was going there for you and for me. He was going there to be the sacrifice for our sin. He was going there out of love for us. This is, this, is why God, this is why God gave his only son, because he loved the world. This is why Jesus came, out of love for sinners. He was delivered up for our trespasses, Romans 4 says, and, and raised for our justification. And so my question for you this morning, 
How, how will you escape if you neglect this salvation? This, the, the very Son of God, the King of kings, having taken on human flesh, walked that road, gone there, not, not just gone and, and, and suffered a little bit of pain, but gone to the very depths of death, endured the eternal, infinite wrath of God that was due to us for our sin. Jesus paid it all. And now he calls people to come and receive this gift of pardon, this gift of salvation. And he doesn't call you to try to earn it, to try to make yourself fit for this gift. He offers it to you in your sin. He calls you simply to believe. Look to Jesus and to be saved. He has done it all for sinners such as us. And so, what more can you add to this? What more can you add? If, if Jesus has gone so far, if the very Son of God has went to the very cross, can, can we add anything to this? What, what, what will you know, our good deeds or the deeds of the, the saints, can that contribute anything to this infinite sacrifice that the Son of God has, has endured for us? This is a great salvation, and there is no other salvation. And so my, my call to you this morning is, are you reconciled to God? Or will you stand before him on that day of judgment without the blood of Christ as your plea, without him as your advocate? Without this sacrifice, without this salvation, what will you do? What, what better plea can you have before the tribunal of God on that day than Christ and him crucified and him risen? Well, if you have any questions about that, if, if you maybe are concerned that maybe I don't, I don't have peace with God this morning, I don't know if I'm right with God, I would, I would urge you not to neglect that, not to just say, I'll, I'll think about that one of these days, but but make today the day of your salvation. Recognize that you can do nothing to save yourself. If you could, then Jesus wouldn't have come. You can do nothing to save yourself. Look in helplessness to his mercy. Call out to God, even, even from where you are in your seat this morning. Ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you because of Christ and him crucified. Him, him, him taking your place. And he will do it. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Jesus said that all who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. By no means will he turn you away. Well, Jesus knew what, he, he knew what was coming. He knew it was necessary for the salvation of, of sinners. And he was preparing his disciples for it. But once again, notice Jesus doesn't stop just talking about his death. You know, you'd think from the disciples' response that that's where, he, that's where he stopped. But he also mentions his resurrection on the third day. That was the final note that should have lingered on their ear. On the third day, I will be raised. Every time Jesus predicts his death, he also predicts his resurrection on the third day. But it's as though the disciples didn't hear that part. It's like they... They didn't even hear it. 
Verse, verse 23 records their reaction, and they were greatly distressed. So not just a little sad, not just like, man, that's, sorry, that's, that's going to be difficult, but, but they were overwhelmed and overpowered with sorrow and grief and emotional pain. It's like someone had, had stuck a dagger right through their hearts. Now, Matthew's original audience would have read the disciples' reaction, and, and as they thought about it, they probably would have cracked a little bit of a smile, knowing that it was, it was in Christ being handed over to death. It was in that and, and through his resurrection that he would accomplish his greatest victory and accomplish our salvation. And so, and so yes, while, while, we, while we look at and, and sorrow that our sins cost Christ that, the, the original readers would have had to maybe smile a little bit as, as the disciples are just overwhelmed with great distress. They, they shouldn't have felt this way, especially as Jesus has, has just been telling them that his death will not be the end. Look what, uh, back a few verses to Matthew 16, verse 27. The disciples should have remembered what Jesus said, that he would be revealed one day with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Evil will not have the upper hand. When it's all said and done, Christ will judge the world in righteousness. And, and again, he keeps reminding them that on the third day, I'll, I'll be raised from the dead. But the disciples had, had lost sight of this. They didn't see it. Uh, Mark and, and Luke's account of Jesus' prediction here mentioned that the disciples, they did not understand what Jesus had, uh, had spoken. Their, they didn't understand his saying. Their, their vision was blurred. They evidently, they understood the part about him being killed, but they didn't understand the part about his resurrection. They, they didn't, they'd lost sight of that ultimate triumph that he would accomplish. All they could see was looming defeat. They should have, they should have maybe experienced some sorrow, but they a, a, a right response, a response of faith would have been more one of trust. It, it would have been a, a mix of emotions. Like, Lord, we're going to be sad to see you go through all of this, but we look forward to your victory. We look forward to that resurrection. Maybe I don't know all of how that's going to take place, but as you've promised us, this, this is part of the plan. This is part of how you will accomplish your victory. And they should have had some, some measure of, of expectant hope that would have kept them above the waters of despair instead of sinking to those lowest depths of great distress. You see, this, this response is presented as yet another failure on the part of the disciples. They could have saved themselves this pain. But so it is often the case with us, and this, this brings us to our second point. How do we sometimes do the exact same thing the disciples do here? Sometimes we, we are greatly distressed when we don't need to be. Sometimes we lose sight of God's sovereignty, his, his wise plan, his almighty power, and all we can see 
all we can see is looming defeat, and it, it sinks us down. It causes us to be sorrowful, to be anxious. Sometimes we, you know, maybe we look at the way that our nation is headed, and we think about, um, you know, as it seems like religious liberties are eroding away. We, we think about the threat of, of rising totalitarianism. And, and life as we've known it for so many years maybe maybe being taken away from us. And as we look at the world around us, all, a lot of times all we see is the power of evil, the power of evil people doing more and more evil. Listen, the nightly news, they don't, they don't report on what's happening in the kingdom of God. They don't report about what Jesus is up to. All, they, all, they, all they're going to be presenting to you, for the most part, is whatever crisis or catastrophe is happening here or there or the other place, and it can overwhelm us. We, we lose sight. You know, often our, maybe our Bibles are sitting on the nightstand collecting dust while our eyes are, are glued to the, the screen or to our phones and we're reading of, of this or that crisis, this or that evil plot, and how this might affect us, how, how we might have to to prepare and to hide and what, what this might mean for our lives. Persecution looms on the horizon like a, like a dark storm front blowing in, hiding the sunlight of hope from our eyes. And we start looking around for shelter, tempted to leave the post of duty in the hour of greatest need. And this is, this is why I, I want to focus on the disciples' response and how we sometimes respond this way my, my goal, is, I, don't, I mean, I want you to feel better, but that's not, the, that's not the end goal. Whenever we fall into being greatly distressed, whenever we fall into being greatly distressed, our obedience to Christ suffers. Our faithfulness to Christ suffers. We're not doing the things we need to be doing in this world. The things that, that Christ has called us to do, the things this world desperately needs of us, because we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to cope, and we've become crippled by fear and sorrow. This is not the way that Christ means for his people to live. He means for us, for people to look at us, no matter how bad things get, and to to see that we have such hope within us that they ask us, man, what's a reason for the hope that is within you? Why are you so filled with peace and hope and joy when you're suffering so greatly? When the world hates your guts, when they've taken all your freedoms, when, they're, when they hate your kind, they should be asking a reason for the hope that is within us. What would it look like, what would it look like if we really kept our eyes on the victory of Jesus, on the triumph of Jesus, on the sovereignty and the power of Jesus, instead of being consumed, all of our energy being drained by the, by the great distress we feel because all we're seeing is the, the prospects of us being handed over into the hands of evil men. Whenever, whenever this happens, whenever this is all that we see, 
we're tempted to one of two courses. Either we start to panic or we're just, just crippled with just um, hopelessness and we just can't do anything. Either we start to take really radical measures and, you know, times are desperate and, and unless I do something crazy, something radical, the kingdom of God is going to just collapse and, and we're going to be ruined. I've got to do something crazy, something earth shattering. Or we're just so crippled with despair that we think, man, what's it all for? What good are my efforts going to do? I might as well just, just sit on my couch. I'm not going to help anything. This world is going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing I can do about it. Those are the two responses that we fall into whenever we are unduly distressed because we've lost sight of the power and the sovereignty and the wisdom of our king. You know, I was, I was watching an a old black and white World War II film recently, and there's a great picture, uh, there's, a, there's a great scene from that film that's a good illustration of the panicked response. Um, so there's, there's this, uh, the Marines are storming the beaches of the island of Tarawa. Uh, it's a Japanese-held island, and there's, uh, they're, they're having to take shelter behind some, some logs. Uh, on their, they're laying there on the beach. There's like this little rampart, and they're just ducking down behind it, and the, the bullets from the machine guns are whizzing over their heads. Artillery shells are exploding on the beach, and the, the veteran experienced sergeant, he's, he's laying there behind those logs, and, and hunkered down beside him is this, this young, raw recruit. And he's just, he's just shaking, he's trembling. You know, this is his first conflict. And, uh, and he, so he just starts to panic, and he blurts out, and he's like, they got us pinned down. We can't get over these logs. I'm gonna go find my lieutenant. And the the wise older sergeant, he knows the, the danger of, of panicky actions and how they, they can blur your thinking. So he says, stay here, kid. But before he can get the words out of his mouth, the, the young recruit has jumped up and he started running across the beach to go get his sergeant. But instead of finding his sergeant, the machine gun bullets find him and he collapses to the bloodstained beach. When we get desperate, when we start to panic, we don't think as clearly. Sometimes what's needed is, is just patience, endurance. But we think we have to take some kind of drastic measure or all will be lost. We need to listen to our Lord. Our Lord, he's, he knows what's coming. He knows the plan. He knows how hot the battle's gonna get. All we need to do is listen. We need to Pay attention to his word. He's given us the instructions that we need. We don't need to worry and panic. We need to meditate on his wisdom and power and greatness and glory. You know, our, our Lord, he knows all of the, the enemy's movements. He knows the, the deepest and darkest of the devil's plans. He knows. He already knows. All we need to do is follow his commands. You know, we need to maybe pick up our phones less and read less of all the catastrophes in the world and, and read our Bibles more and see what God is up to. 
We need to sing hymns of praise more. We need to call our our fellow believers on the phone and say, you know what, I was reading this this morning. Isn't our God great? Instead of sharing with them, did you see what happened over there in in uh, you know the Middle East or over there in 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 Taiwan or like this is this could mean World War Three you know what are we going to do? We need to be calling and encouraging each other more and more than we than we do. We need to be reading our, our Bibles with our families, with our you know, you know teaching our children, discipling. You know this is this is the patient and glorious day by day plodding along that changes the world, that, that destroys the kingdom of darkness. When we, when we sit down with our spouse and read the Bible together, when we teach our children or our grandchildren a trade, when we just go about our normal job Monday through Friday and work hard so that we may have something to give to those in need, Ephesians 3.28, when we you know, in our free time, go and, and visit somebody who's lonely, somebody who's sick. Whenever, whenever we are racked with pain and, and suffering, we can't get out of bed. To fight for joy, to fight for gratitude in those moments. That's what brings down the kingdom of darkness. When people can around you see the hope, the hope that you have. Why do you have this hope? To, to enlist the help and the prayers of others when, when needed, our church family, you know, to help us in the fight. To encourage one another and build one another up. That's what Hebrews 10 talks about. That's why it, it calls believers not to neglect the gathering together, like what we're doing here this morning. Don't, don't neglect that. It says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as, as, as the day gets closer for Christ to return, gather together and encourage one another. We need it. We desperately need it. Somebody in this room needs a word of encouragement this morning. Maybe it's you. What's, not, what's needed is not desperate measures, but faithful diligence, day by day, patient endurance. This is what brings down the kingdom of darkness. Others of us, though, instead of, instead of panicking, instead of, instead of saying, like, oh, we, we better do something drastic or else all is lost. got to make my life count. Or else, what's it all for? Uh, some of us are not so much like that, that young Marine on the Tarawa Beach. Others of us are, uh, are like King Theoden, if you've seen uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, and he's, there's, there's a scene where the, the, all the enemies just breaking into his castle and they're about to, to slaughter them. And he just stands there, crippled with fear. He's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the king. He's supposed to, to be rallying his people for one last stand. And he's just crippled with despair. He says, what can men do against such reckless hate? What can we do? That's sometimes how we feel, isn't it? We, we look around us and we think, what's it all for? What can I do? What difference will, will I make, really? 
What's the use is the soundtrack that's on repeat in our minds. We've lost sight of the facts that as 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our labor is not in vain. God is always up to more than we realize. You know, who would have thought that a young party boy gambler politician converted to Christianity, that this, this young partier would eventually spearhead a movement that would abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. But that's exactly how God used William Wilberforce. When a, a man decided to sit down and, and pen his life story of being kidnapped from Africa, sold into the slave trade in the Caribbean, and of his struggles of soul and his eventual conversion to faith in Christ, when he sat down to write that biographical account, he could not have known the pivotal role that biography would play in, in captivating the very empire that had captivated him, in changing the public opinion on the issue of the slave trade. But that's exactly how God used Olauda Equiano's biography. It's a great biography, by the way. Um, I highly recommend it. The German professor who nailed a document to the church door, the, the bulletin board of the day, challenging certain, certain uh, practices within the church, would have had, he had no idea in that moment how momentous that document would be. You know, he, he nailed it to the door. He was maybe looking to find a few debate partners. He didn't know that that would start the great reformation of the 1500s. But that's exactly what God had planned for Martin Luther. The church building was near empty on the, the snowy, wintry day. Most of the congregation hadn't even made it to church. In fact, not even the preacher had come. Doubtless, I, I wonder if any of the, the congregation that morning thought, well, should we just go home? But one layman, one substitute uh, preacher that morning, just, just a man from the church, decided to get up and preach the word to the, the 12 or 15 that had made it. One young teenager happened to stumble in that day, and he heard the message preached by this by this random guy, this random church member whose name is, is lost in history. And that message was used to convert Charles Spurgeon to faith in Christ. I, think about this. This, this, uh, this average guy from the church, this man who maybe he, probably, maybe he hadn't even preached many sermons, but he decided to get up and, you know, the preacher's not here, but I'm going to I'll give, I'll give the word this morning. I'll, I'll read the word of God. I'll, I'll make a few comments on it. He had no idea that his sermon would be used to convert the man who, whose sermons would be later read all across the world by millions of people who would, who would start more than 60 charitable organizations and orphanages and, and reshape England by the power of the gospel. That guy, the... That, that primitive Methodist layman had no idea that morning. 
Friends, my point is, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whenever we're tempted to think, what's the use? Just remember some of these stories from, from our history. Remember that God is always up to more than we realize. Well, this is a call for us. This is a call for us to study. You know, the disciples, a great reason for their distress, a great reason why they, they sunk to such low depths of, of sorrow is because they didn't understand. They did not understand. And so, brothers and sisters, how much, how much pain could we save ourselves if we could, could keep in our minds a clearer understanding of what God is up to in the world, of what God has done, of how he has accomplished his great redemptive plan, even at times when it looked like all was lost. If we could, if we could keep these things in our minds, wouldn't we be a lot less anxious and depressed and sorrowful when we look at the world around us? This is a call for us to be people of prayer. Pray to the Lord for boldness and strength to endure to the end and not to, and not to get skittish and run from the post of duty, not to be frozen and crippled with hopelessness and despair. Church, Emmanuel Baptist, we must encourage one another. I mean, Jesus, he told his disciples some of these things already, but they'd forgotten. And sometimes we need to be stirred up by way of reminder. Sometimes we know things. We know that God's going to win in the end, but we sure ain't living like it. We need to be reminded sometimes. So remind one another of the truth, even old truths that you already know. Well, in conclusion, not long after this, this prediction by Jesus, just as he had said, he would soon be handed over. He would, he would appear to be powerless at the mercy of merciless men. But brothers and sisters, he wasn't powerless. When it seemed as though he was, it was just then that he was winning his greatest triumph. And, and so with us, if, that's, if that was the case at the cross, when it seems as though the world and we are at the mercy of evil men, it is just then that we need to remember that the world is at his mercy. And on the day he is appointed, he will return to judge the world in righteousness. And until that day, all things, even the plans of evil men, are carrying out whatever his hand and his purpose has predestined to take place. Read Acts 4 later this afternoon and see how the disciples encourage themselves in the face of persecution. Let us marvel at the wisdom, the power, the authority of God. Yes, Jesus died just as he said, but Jesus was also raised just as he promised, just as he predicted. All authority has been given to him just as he said, and, and, and he is with us always just as he said, even to the end of the age. And he will return whenever he has determined and bring his kingdom in its fullness just as he said. Let's pray. Lord God, help us, help us to plant our feet on this solid rock. Help us to know, help us not to be weak in our understanding, Lord, but to see that despite how things sometimes look,
You are in control. And all things are moving according to your appointed purposes and goals. And history is headed to the end for which you have written it. Well, Lord, help us to find our place in it. Help us to be diligent in the duty to which you've called us this week. Even if it seems insignificant, Lord, help us to remember that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.